Well, today is a, a unique service for us as we celebrate our 10-year anniversary, and, and honestly, I don't know how to do it right in the, the wake of that tragedy from yesterday. I mean, everything we've prepared today is lighthearted and celebratory, uh, but, but we know that there are many people really hurting, really mourning today. So I'm going to try to strike that balance right and probably not get it right, uh, but, but I know that Andre would certainly want us to celebrate the work of the Lord like he is today. Um, he, he is a guy who is probably rocking out on his base in the presence of Jesus today, and he would want us to praise him and acknowledge all of his good, work, good works and celebrate him uh, like he is today. So, so with Carl, let's go ahead. We're, we're going to try to do that. Um, but at this time, seven, or 10 years ago, we had met for, for seven months in the Dietrich's basement in Henrietta, um, and then we moved to the German house, and we were preparing for our first public service there on September 20th, 2009, and God has been far better to us than we deserved. And in my lack of faith, far better than, than I ever expected him to be for us. And we didn't know if it was going to work. We certainly didn't anticipate what the church has become, but God, God has been so good to us. Uh, in 2009, there was no knowing if the church here would survive, let alone thrive. Uh, all the church planning gurus said that 80% of churches closed their doors within the first two years. I was warned that all the people who help us start the church would be gone by the end of that second year. Uh, we knew that churches in the Northeast U.S. had even worse odds, and we had, humanly speaking, very little going for us. We had a shoestring budget. We had no full-time staff. Uh, I had no lead pastor experience, and everybody else was very green, too. Uh, our programs were, were minimal. There were just a few dozen faithful people, a ton of prayer, and little else. But on paper, this wasn't going to work. But God has been incredibly gracious. And 10 years later, we're not only still here, but God has brought people to faith in himself every single year. Uh, there have been hundreds of people who have new faith in Christ uh, that have been baptized over the last decade here. Uh, people have grown in their faith. Churches have been planted. Uh, ministries have been supported with volunteers and with finances. About 120 new families have been formed, as we've had about that many weddings in the last 10 years. Um, there have been somewhere, it's not countable, but about 200 babies that have been born uh, in, in the last 10 years. Uh, we've been able to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars to church planning and other ministries. And we can look back and see what can only be described as a work of God's mercy and kindness to us here in Rochester. And as a way of looking back and celebrating what God has done, uh, we prepared this video. Our scripture text today is 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verses 1 through 10. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Well, this book of 2 Corinthians was written to the Corinthian Christians in large part as a response to the work that God had been doing among them, uh, to acknowledge all that God had done in, in that Corinthian church. And so I thought a passage from this book would be an appropriate one for our anniversary Sunday today, when we're looking back to say thank you to God for, for all that he's done. And this is super important to do. It's important to reflect on what God has done for a very important reason. In fact, if you look at verse 1 again, he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So reflecting on what God has done in, in our ministry is part of what keeps us from losing heart. Losing heart is becoming discouraged to the point of giving up which is always a temptation in the Christian life. We experience so many discouragements, things that don't pan out. We have a life that's far harder than we thought, and there's a temptation to let that drain our joy, let that drain our zeal, and then just give up on the whole Christian life. Or we'll look at the future, and and what we see coming looks so daunting and exhausting that we can't imagine ever having the strength to go through it all. You don't know how you could ever go through all of those coming changes at the company or those changes in your kids or in your kids or those changes in your health or the financial struggles or the opposition to the faith that you see growing in the culture around you. you know, often we think, I don't know how I can keep doing this. I don't know how I can stay faithful to Christ and all of the responsibilities he's given me and we can let the future just overwhelm us and sap our joy. And for us as a church, that's no longer a brand new church plant. Uh, In the years ahead, of course, we face challenges just like we did in the last 10 years. There will be challenges in the culture, challenges with with buildings and finances and always with parking. There will be challenges with with management, challenges to stay on mission, and it can be tempting to just tap out and to think that we won't be able to face what's ahead. Over and over again in the Christian life, we reach moments where we say, I don't know how I can do this. But Paul says, we have this ministry by the mercy of God, so we don't lose heart. Everything that we've ever accomplished in the past, individually as Christians or as a church, was not because we were awesome. We, We accomplished those things as a gift of God's mercy to us. And if he's given us all the mercy that we need up until this point, we can be encouraged to keep going and encouraged for the future because there will be mercy there too. We can look back and and at every moment of our Christian lives where we had those moments where we said, I don't know how I could ever do this. At all of those moments, God was there with his mercy. In fact, that's how this whole becoming a Christian thing got started. We realized how sinful we were. We realized we had fallen desperately short of God's standard. We realized we were alienated from God. And we had that moment of thinking, I don't know how I can fix this. And then we opened up the scriptures and the scriptures said, you can't fix this. But there was provision before our need. God had sent his son to die. And if God was, was merciful in our time of greatest of all possible needs, and he was merciful at great cost to himself, he can definitely be counted on to be merciful and faithful for all of our future needs. And so, so Paul says, in looking to the future and in looking for strength today, he says, presume on the mercy of God. Presume that it'll be there. Remember all that he's done. Trust that he'll provide more grace for each day, for each challenge, for each need along the way that we'll definitely reach moments where we feel stretched and discouraged and like we're up against a wall and we're tempted to quit. 
But he says, keep going. Don't lose heart because there will be mercy there. And now if the only mercy that we ever received around here was that God sent his son to die for us on the cross, that would be plenty of evidence that God will be faithful to us in the future. That'd be plenty of evidence that he loves us and that he's good to us and that he'll be enough for us. If he provided at that great cost for our biggest need, we can certainly expect him to provide at much smaller cost for our smaller needs going forward. But we can look at our ministry at at Grace Road and we can see the pronounced mercy of God all over it in all kinds of additional ways. There's been so much mercy here so that we can look toward the future and confidently say, God is a God who loves being merciful. He loves to just shower his people with all kinds of blessings, and we can expect that to happen in the future so that we don't lose heart. And notice that when Paul said that, uh, that he didn't lose heart, he didn't actually say, I don't lose heart. He said, we don't lose heart. So it wasn't just that Paul had this ministry, it was that, that we, that, that all of God's people had this ministry. It's always the case that what God is doing in the world, he wants to do through all of his people. In 2007, a few of us started talking about planning this church, and I have always, for a decade, gotten way too much credit for, for Grace Road and for Grace Road's inception. I wasn't at the time at all convinced that I should be a lead pastor or that I should preach, Um, but a couple of our current elders kept encouraging me in that calling. They kept saying, we should do this. And the mercy of God is that when they said, we should do this, they really meant we. Like, they believed that, that the things that God was going to accomplish in the world, he was going to accomplish through all of his people, and that the ministry is not about one person. The ministry is about a whole group of people filled with a passion for Jesus who want to spread that passion to people around us. As I was kind of preparing for this morning, I had to decide to to name almost no names. And the reason for doing that is because I could easily list 200 names that have just been major parts of what God has done here at Grace Road. And then I would lose sleep night after night after night because of the three that I forgot or because of the 800 that I forgot. Like there are so many people who've brought so many gifts and talents and passions uh, to make Grace Road Grace Road that I couldn't even start to start to to mention too many names. Um, But the fact that there have been so many is just the evidence of God's distinct and, and clear mercy to us. You know, it's, it is the mercy of God that you would have a young couple like the Dietrichs who would open their new house to host a church plant that on a big night would have 90 people and half of them would be kids. Um, without kids, houses stay nice. Like, they, they stay nice and they stay clean. And, and the Dietrichs at the time didn't have kids and they had a new house. Who is it that comes along and says, let's turn these bedrooms into Sunday school classrooms indefinitely? And there are going to be tons of kids, so we will just pack them in. Who, who does that? Who, who makes that kind of sacrifice? It was God's mercy. And then when we, we moved to the German house, there were a handful of people who were starting families, who were starting professional careers, But still, even though they had a lot going for them all over the place, they would show up early in the morning, setting up chairs, cleaning up from whatever happened the night before. At the German house, one Saturday a month, they would host a pro wrestling smackdown. And so the cleanup on Sunday after that was always substantial. And so here are these people who have lives and who have careers and who could have gone to a church with Starbucks and parking spaces 
but they showed up to clean up the vomit and beer cans on Sunday mornings so that this mission could go forward. And faithful families like that, that that have just been so plentiful, represent the mercy of God to us. The people with that much confidence in the power of the gospel and that much much hope for the local church and that much hope that this ministry uh, would be worth all of the sacrifices that they were making. And then people who not only made those sacrifices up front, but then who are still serving and part of our church in vital ways 10 years later. I mean, that's totally unheard of. It's, It's unheard of even in the church community, and it is a massive gift of God. That over the years, real repentance and real forgiveness along the way has kept relationships together and friendships have survived under incredible pressure. And God was clearly building this ministry by giving us mercy after mercy so that we could keep going. And we are just so thankful for, for all of you and the unique contribution that you've brought to make Grace Road a reality. You are a gift from God. And again, I just keep always getting too much credit. I know that like, my contribution to this ministry would not have been possible were it not for the gift of God that my wife Debbie is and that, that our family is. I mean, it takes a lot of faith to encourage your husband to quit his job and plant a church. And then to ride that out in the early years where there's all kinds of chaos. We had four kids under six at the time. Um, but for 10 years, Debbie has been like the steady rock in the times when I've wanted to bail. Um, at, in 10 years, she has not become resentful of the church. She still opens our home to two different small groups. She's never been off the nursery rotation. Uh, she's never uh, been, been bitter about the church. It's been like 24-7 on call for a decade, and she is on board. Um, and that is a unique mercy of God. That this has never been just my job, but because of her, it's always been able to be like our family mission. And, and so we have been, been blessed in, in that way too. And so we have this ministry by the mercy of God. The steady elders, the dozens of group leaders, the kids teachers, hundreds of volunteers, the staff, the resources, all the mercy of God. I mean, we can look at the cross and we can look at what God's done even on top of that cross and know that that's something what God is like. He is a God who loves to show mercy to his children. So that means that whatever the future holds, we can trust that God will be ready with mercy in the future, mercy for every need. And if Grace Road is going to continue and thrive for another 50 years, we're going to need another 50 years of God giving us better than we deserve and blessing us despite ourselves. And Paul says, if you want to be encouraged, just count on that. Just count on it. If he did it in the past, there's no reason to think that he won't continually provide in the future. We might say, yeah, but why would he do that for me? I've failed in so many ways. But that's what mercy is. Mercy is always given to undeserving people. He said, so if we were undeserving in the past and God showed us mercy, then when we're undeserving in the future, he'll still continue to show us mercy. God's past mercy is always the grounds for our hope in his future faithfulness. And so we don't know the future at all, but we know that there is no future without Jesus. Not for us as Christians and not for his church. There's no guarantee of measurable success, but that's never been what we're after anyway. The guarantee is that there is no future without God's mercy. And we can depend on that for everything going forward. And God has more than shown his faithfulness to us in the last 10 years. But what Paul's mainly focusing on in this passage that he has by the mercy of God is not primarily the containers of the ministry, but the content of ministry. It's what that ministry is all about. He certainly, in 2 Corinthians, expresses his thanks for the people in Corinth as part of that ministry. 
but his focus is on what that ministry is all about. And in the context here, Paul's talking about the ministry of the gospel, the calling that God had put on his life to speak the message of the gospel that brings life, as opposed to just the message of the law alone that would only bring death. And he counted it a tremendous mercy of God that God would reveal that gospel to him, and then God would call him to share that gospel just like God has for us. That Jesus would save him and call him to share him was a profound mercy of God for Paul. It was a joy and a delight for him to know the Lord and to make him known. And that God would transform him into someone whose role was to go throughout the world being what he called in in chapter 2, the aroma of Christ, for him was just unbelievable. And God has done that for us too. He's taken people who were his enemies And he's reconciled us to himself by the blood of his son. And then he's connected us with this missionary family called the church. And that is a massive mercy of God. And knowing that, knowing the power of that gospel and knowing the importance of that gospel, that keeps us from trusting in any other power as we go forward, any other power to get God's work done. In fact, look what he says next in verse 2. He says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And so the fact that God is actually alive and that he is actually powerful and he's, actually, he's actively merciful, all of those facts remind us that, that the one we should be depending on is always him and not us. All those facts remind us that that we don't need something better than Jesus going into the future because there is nothing better than Jesus. But there is a temptation that he alludes to here. There's a temptation sometimes to look around and feel like it's not working and to think that we need to to do something a little more clever. We need to do what he he calls practicing cunning. That maybe the the gospel isn't enough. So, So maybe what we need is to use deceitful practices to get people to respond to what we're teaching. You know, maybe if we did a little more to intentionally play on emotions so that we could create some emotional decisions, for example. Maybe if we could like psychologically manipulate people to respond or, or to say they got saved even if they didn't. Or maybe if we could trick them into to giving more. But he says we don't practice cunning because the word is powerful. We have to refuse to do things that way. You know, if it was the straightforward statement of the truth of God that got us to God and that got us this far, then we can't rely on any other method primarily more than we rely on the straightforward statement of the truth. So we don't practice cunning. We trust the power of the gospel. He says there's also this temptation to, to tamper with God's word to make it more acceptable and probably more and more in our day. There's always a temptation to try to make a cooler, more toned-down version of Jesus. Maybe if we can make a Jesus who never talked about money or sex or hell, if we could kind of sand all those rough edges off of Jesus so that he could be shrink-wrapped and packaged for the masses, then maybe if we did that, if we did that just right and toned down the hard things, then we could overcome whatever it is that keeps people from believing. But look what he says next. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he says, yeah, there are definitely people who are blind to the glory and beauty of Jesus. He says, they're they're certainly out there. 
And, and there are times where that open statement of the truth, that plain teaching of God's word, doesn't satisfy them. It doesn't scratch the itch. It doesn't seem to reach them. But he says their problem is not just that they need us to tone down Jesus a little bit more. It's not that we need to be a little bit more clever. It's not that they need you know, bigger and brighter video screens to hold their attention. Their main problem isn't attention spans. It's not that they need a dumbed-down message. Their, their main problem isn't a lack of intelligence. He says their main problem is that the little g, God of this world, Satan, the, the wrongful king who sees the throne, has blinded their eyes. And what we know of Satan is that he is better at cunning than we are. He's better at tampering with God's word than we are. He, he does that like it's his job. And so if we think that our cunning will, will outwit him, or if we think that our tampering will actually make this message more powerful, he says we're falling right into his trap. We're doing exactly what he would want. He's blinded their eyes. And if we think that we can outwit him, we're completely wrong. There's a problem in, in the eyes of those who don't embrace the gospel that we could never overcome with emotional manipulation. There's a bigger power that's needed. There's a power that's beyond us. And that's why we need what he says in verse 5. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. This is Jesus with all of the edges and all of the corners and all of the demands over our life. This is the Jesus who, who calls us to follow him, but in calling us to follow him, calls us to come and die. This is not a, a toned down, easy to accept, easy to swallow Jesus. This is the Jesus who, who said things that were so offensive that they killed him. He said, our only hope is in the clear proclamation of Jesus as Lord. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And then look what he says in verse 6. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he says that we proclaim Jesus. I mean, when we think back at what made us Christians, if we're really Christians, it wasn't just emotional manipulation. It wasn't someone selling us a watered-down, edge-free, palatable Christianity. We are Christians because someone told us about Jesus, and they told us that offensive message that we had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They told us the even more offensive message that we were helpless to fix it on our own. And then they told us the message, but there's someone who came to save people who cannot save themselves. They told us about Jesus with all of his edges. And the truth is, even just hearing those facts, that wasn't enough for us either. Because our hearts were dead. We were enemies of God. By nature, we hated Jesus. But God, in his mercy, he took that seemingly foolish, weak message of Jesus and did the same thing in our hearts that the scripture says he did in Genesis 1. He said, let there be light. And ex nihilo, out of nothing, out of the darkness of our hearts, the light of Christ shone. When we came to believe, all of a sudden what had seemed so foolish before now became wisdom. What before only looked like a restrictive, narrow road now became a restrictive, narrow road that we wanted to take because it, was, it led to a wide expanse of life. What sounded awful before now became our delight. In our minds before, Jesus was the enemy of everything we wanted, and then he became everything we wanted. So for us to come to faith in Jesus took an absolute miracle. 
We were his enemies. We didn't want anyone else to rule over our lives. It was just darkness in our hearts and minds. And we heard the truth, which by itself, without God working, does nothing for someone who hates the truth. But just like he did in Genesis, the the Spirit of God came and, and hovered over the dark waters of our hearts. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. It was a real miracle. And it wasn't the multimedia that made that happen. It didn't happen because someone watered down the message of Jesus and tampered with it just enough to make it non-offensive. It offended us, and it demanded our repentance, and then because God is a gracious God, he gave us the free gift of faith so we would love that thing that we hated. And it worked because in that gospel message, there is a real power. In Romans 1, 15 through 17, he says, "'For I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel.'" For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So it's the preaching of the gospel and the power of God that made us believe. It always takes a miracle of God for anyone to come to faith. But but because we have this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. God loves to bring people to himself. He has shown us his mercy in bringing us to himself, and we can presume on God to continue to work to be just that merciful in the hearts and the lives of others when we speak the message of the gospel to them in an honest, straightforward way. And the other things that he blesses us with, the gear is a blessing. The fact that we can actually play a video now without it crashing, which was never the case at the German house. That's a blessing, and we're glad for that. We're glad we can receive that. But the power is always in the gospel. In fact, he goes on, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The container for the gospel that is Grace Road is a blessing of God to us. But ultimately, it's a clay jar. It's not that impressive. It's blemished. It's cracked. It's plain. But there's treasure inside it. And that treasure is the gospel. And when, when there's a bucket of gold, you aren't too concerned about the bucket. You're interested in the gold. And, and the hope for the next 10 years of Grace Road is that we would see more of, of the same. That we would be this clay pot, this imperfect church with weak and sinful people who have to repent frequently along the way, but who embody the treasure of the gospel and who share it with the world around us. We, we always kind of live in the tension of being a clay pot of feeling so much of of what we are wasting away, but then at the same time having this inner person that's being renewed day by day in this treasure that's still so powerful. We, We have to kind of hold on to both realities, which allows us to live out the complexities of the Christian life, a life of sin and difficulty and sorrow and loss and persecution, but at the same time a life of joy and celebration and laughter in a sense that in all of this, somehow Jesus is winning. So he says in verse 8, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
There's this tension in the Christian life of always being sorrowful and, and, and really being failures, but also always rejoicing and really triumphing in Jesus. And both go hand in hand. Both go side and side, side by side. And so the hope for us over the next 10 years is to just continue to continue to, continue to carry this gospel, continue to carry this treasure, and to manifest the life of Jesus in more places, in more neighborhoods, in more offices, on more campuses, and in more congregations in the years ahead. It definitely won't be pretty or easy. It'll be grimy. It'll take more waves of people who grasp that we of, of ministry ownership. But God was merciful in providing them in the past, and we can just trust that he'll be merciful in providing them in the future. And so our hope for the next 10 years is really embodied in this passage, that, that we would be encouraged by the mercy of God day by day, that we'd avoid the modification of God in any way, that we'd be empowered by the gospel of God, and that in the places we go, we would carry and embody that gospel of God, knowing that is the power to transform anyone. So what God has done in the last 10 years, we just pray for more of the same, more of the mercy, more of the grace for people who are completely undeserving. And maybe you're here today and you sense that you're far from this God. You don't really know him. You maybe get the sense that you need forgiveness and you have this desire for God, but you know very little uh, about him. And maybe you even have this sense that you're being drawn in, that, that you came in kind of rolling your eyes about church and Christianity, and then all of a sudden there's something compelling about the message. For that kind of thing to happen, that has to be the work of God on your heart. And the promise is that he will forgive and redeem everyone who trusts in him through the gospel. In the gospel that we preach here every single week, the heart of the Christian message is the message that though we are more sinful than we could ever know, because of the death of Jesus on our behalf, we can, by faith in him, be more accepted by God than we could ever hope. So if you recognize your own fallenness and your own frailty and your own sin, if you recognize in the light of God's perfect holiness that you don't measure up to, to his standard, if you're at that point where you say, I don't know how I could ever fix this, you're absolutely right. It is too big a problem for you to fix. The call in your life is to just believe the good news of the gospel. The good news that God sent his son to come and die on the cross to pay for your sins. He had already lived a life of perfect righteousness that, that gets substituted for yours if you believe in him. And then when he died on the cross, that death on the cross is substituted for, for your death and the wrath of God that you deserved. So if you'll turn from sin and you'll turn from unbelief, you'll turn from whatever was that Lord before, whatever was ultimate to you, and you'll turn and yield to Jesus and trust in Jesus, if you'll trust in what he did on the cross and him alone for your salvation and forgiveness, he promises to completely forgive you, to change you from his enemy into his son or his daughter to bring you from, from death to life. He promises to speak that word in your heart of let there be light and enlighten you to the glory and the beauty of Christ. It's a massive promise. And it's offered to anyone who will believe. So if today you, you sense that distance from him, turn to him, call out to him, believe in what he's done for you, yield to him, and he says of all those who come to me, I won't lose one, he promises to receive you because he is a God of never-ending, nonstop mercy. We know that's true, and we know that that is our hope for the future. So let's pray.
Well, Father, you have been far more faithful than we have been. You've made your power known here. You have allowed lives to be redeemed here. You've allowed eternities to be changed here. And in light of your amazing faithfulness, we sense how much we've fallen short, that we haven't been faithful. We have been fearful. We've been untrusting. At times we've gotten bored with the gospel. Sometimes we hunger for something that's more than Jesus or better than Jesus. We struggle to obey your command to love you and to love our neighbors. We struggle to be faithful friends and spouses and siblings and parents and children and church members. We confess that selfishness invades all of our relationships. So, Father, forgive us again. Lord, we have no merit before you. So let the merit of Jesus stand for us. We're undeserving of your love, but he has earned your favor and affection for us. We're full of sin, but he's full of grace on our behalf. We disobey time and time again, but he obeyed every time perfectly in our place. All the powers of our bodies and souls are corrupted, but he remained pure and unblemished as he lived and died for us. We're unfaithful to you, but he was faithful for us. So we thank you that you have chosen to look on his goodness and then pardon our sins. Father, thank you. And Holy Spirit, in the years ahead, we pray that you would show us more of Christ and change us into his likeness. Make us steadfast in our love for him and faithful in our obedience. Let all of our inevitable weakness and indwelling sin humble us build in our hearts a desperate desire for the help and the hope that's found in him alone. We pray that your deep love and mercy would cause us to turn to you, to love you, to trust you again and again, and to grow in faithfulness to you. We pray that in the next decade you would fill us with your praise, and that you would fill hundreds and thousands more with your praise communities and congregations all around this region as people are drawn to you by your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and worship him together.